In Mark chapter 8 and verse 9, it says, And they that had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. Jesus feeds 4,000, then he sends them away. And then it says in verse 10, and straightway. Straightway is another way of saying immediately. Um, Without delay. And straightway, after feeding these 4,000, he entered into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts of Dalmanutha. And the Pharisees there in this new location came forth and began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, There shall no sign be given unto this generation. And he left them, and entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. That's a pretty interesting series of events. He he feeds 4,000. He crosses over the Sea of Galilee. Pharisees met him there, requested of a sign. He rebuked them for seeking a sign. He gets back in the boat and goes back over the Sea of Galilee. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Didn't even go get a sandwich or anything. I mean, he just heads back over the Sea of Galilee. Now, we're going to talk about the fact that the Jews wanted Jesus to give them a sign. A sign would be some miraculous, uh, divine, irrefutable manifestation. Some sign. And there's an implication there that we'll talk about this morning. And the implication was, if he would just give us this sign, then we would believe. And I want to say that sentiment really exists sometimes in our minds and the minds of others, whether we recognize it or not. People are looking for a sign. If God would just do this, if God would just do this, if God would just do this. So we're going to examine this together. And, and I want to pray that as we leave today, that we could take this away from this study. And that is a question, what does God think about the subject of us always wanting some kind of a sign? Because that's the question that's addressed here. So we're going to talk about this subject of seeking a sign. Let's pray as we begin. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for blessing us today with the awareness of how good you are and how blessed we are. We praise you for that today. We're overwhelmed, Father, by your goodness. And please help us as we study and speak to our hearts. Give us what we need. Feed our soul. For those who are here who are not saved, I pray that the light of the gospel would shine into hearts. The Spirit of God would do the work of conviction, convicting of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. We pray for that and that people would look to Jesus and trust him. We pray this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. You know, we've been in this uh, chapter of uh, this book for over a year now. And, but in recent, recent messages, you see this uh, uptick really in the travels of Jesus 
as he crisscrosses the Sea of Galilee. In Mark chapter 4, he crossed the sea to the country of the Gadarenes, and there he miraculously healed this demonized man from Gadara. He left immediately by getting in the boat and going to the other side and crossed back to the western side of the Sea of Galilee in Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 6, he crossed the sea again to go to Bethsaida. In Mark chapter 7, he traveled to the borders of Tyre and Sidon, far north and west by the Mediterranean Sea. From there, he traveled over to the region of Decapolis. We were just reading about this, where he fed the 4,000. And as I said, after he fed the 4,000, he immediately departed and went across the sea. And as we read here a moment ago in verse 13, after he finished this dialogue with the Pharisees, he entered into the ship and departed to the other side again. You see a pattern here of Jesus just going back and forth and around in different places, not staying anywhere very long. Here he comes to what the Bible calls in verse 10, the parts of Dalmanutha. That's an area that's no longer on the map, no longer exists. We're not going to turn to it, but if you were to look in Matthew's gospel, Matthew wrote about this very same thing we're reading about, and this is what Matthew said in chapter 15. He sent away the multitude and took ship and came into the coast of Magdala. That city does exist today, on the western part of the Sea of Galilee, Magdala. You know someone from Magdala. Mary, what? Magdalene. She's from Magdala. Here we see this pattern of Jesus that is really changed in the latter part of his earthly ministry, the last year of his earthly ministry, spending far less time in Judea, almost exclusively in Galilee, in the regions around Galilee, but not spending much time in any place, just getting the truth out, the message out, wherever he went. So here we find him in our text in verse 11 in the area of Magdala, and the Pharisees want to see a sign. They begin to question him, verse 11 says. They begin to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven. Now these Pharisees, whose primary interest was in discrediting Jesus, in doubting Jesus, these Pharisees seem to be everywhere. I mean, every time he'd get off a ship, there they'd be. And they have these questions. They want a sign from heaven. Now, if, if this is all the Bible we had, we might say, well, they deserve a sign. What do they know? These people need to know what he can do. But the truth is, they had seen many miracles. They just wanted more. They were never satisfied. They wanted something from heaven. Maybe, maybe fire coming down from heaven. Maybe food not just food multiplied and dispersed, but maybe like manna, food that would come. They, want, they wanted a sign. By the way, Paul wrote about these people in 1 Corinthians when he says the Jews require a sign. They're always looking for a sign. They must see something more, something different. And the Bible says in verse 11, the last part of verse 11, I hope you have your Bible open there, they did this tempting him. They were, not, they were not seeking to know him. They were not seeking to follow him. They were more interested in tricking him. They were more interested in testing him. 
to see if he is good enough, if he's worthy of their fellowship, if he is everything he claimed to be. And if they could, they wanted to disprove him. By the way, a lot of people like that today. They're not interested in following Jesus. They just want to kind of discredit Jesus. So how did Jesus respond? Look in verse 12, it says, and he sighed deeply in his spirit. That's worth thinking about. He sighed. We read about this same response in Matthew chapter 7, if you just look across the page in my Bible, where it says, and looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him. He sighed. Why did the Bible record that? Why would the Bible put that response of Jesus? Sometimes my wife has heard me sigh, and she wants to know, why did you sigh? And I said, are you asking for a sign? No. (laughs) This sigh meant something. He sighed, and he didn't just sigh, it says in verse 12, he sighed deeply in his spirit. Jesus was deeply affected. He was frustrated. He was saddened with these people. You may think Jesus never, ever had a response to people. But I'm telling you, Jesus was moved. It, was, it came out. Emotionally, it came out. He knew their motive wasn't right. He knew they weren't receptive to the truth. Now, let's think about this for a moment. This is not the main part of the message, but think about this. Do you think it matters to Jesus when people are insincere? When, when you don't have a sincere attitude about Jesus... Do you think it matters to God? Do you think it matters to Jesus? If people are more interested in in sort of convoluting his message than really responding in obedience and love and humility, do you think it matters? His sinus had to do with the hardness of their hearts. It's not far off for me to imagine that even today, people who don't have a a real heart for obedience to God, they just just want to kind of nitpick at what Jesus does and why did he do this, that Jesus is moved by that, but not in a positive way. He was sighing because of their hearts. And then he said this, look in verse 12, why doth this generation seek after a sign? Why are he says, why are you, the people I'm talking, why are you looking for a sign? It's not an admirable thing. As a matter of fact, when Matthew records this, this is what Matthew said about this very same thing. He says, Jesus said, it's an evil and adulterous generation that seeketh after a sign. Let me tell you, it's not a sign of spirituality to look after signs. It's not a sign of maturity to look after signs. He called it spiritual adultery. He called it unfaithfulness. Jesus said it's evil. Jesus said that. It's evil. It's not a good thing. Now, why is it wrong to seek after a sign? For one thing, it's a sign, no pun intended. It's a sign of unbelief. It's evidence of unbelief. Seeking after a sign, if it doesn't do anything else, it reveals a lack of faith. Faith doesn't look for signs. Faith takes God at his word. Listen, our relationship with God is not about what he does. It's about what he says. If If he showers us with blessings, he's good. If he leads us through the valleys dark, he's good. 
It's not about what you see. It's not about what you feel. He's not some kind of a, 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 a entity that we can go to and just say, well, do this for me and I'll know you love me or do this for me and I'll know you care. Do this for me or I'll question you. He's God Almighty. We don't follow Him because of the signs He gives us. We follow Him because, like Peter did, when Jesus said to those who were departing Him, leaving and he said, are you going to go also? And he says, where would we go? Thou hast the signs. No. Thou hast the words of eternal life. It's not good to seek after sign. It's not an evidence of nobility or spirituality. It's an evidence of unbelief. These people did not believe. And let me tell you why they didn't believe. Because they didn't want to believe. They didn't want to believe. I want to just kind of rehearse a few things about these people. In John chapter 6, it says this. This is what they said. What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? That's what they said. Sounds good, doesn't it? What sign do you show us that we can see and believe? But what makes that interesting is Jesus had just fed 5,000 people, plus women and children. And then he walked on the water. Now, they may not have seen all that, but I promise you they knew about it. It was not a secret what Jesus was doing. And they said, show us a sign that we will believe. Like, feeding 5,000 is okay, walking on the water, that's not bad, but we want to see a sign. Before that, he healed a crippled man. And those who were there when he healed the crippled man sought to kill him because he healed on the Sabbath day. Same group of people. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus healed a dumb man, enabling him to speak. As soon as he healed this dumb man, they said, these group of people said, he casts out devils by Beelzebub. And then the very next verse says, some of them tempted him and asked for a sign from heaven. Does that sound like a sincere asking for a sign so they'll believe? No. They watched him perform miracles. They saw the things he did and they just kept asking for signs. There was no lack of evidence. You know why they couldn't believe? Because they wouldn't believe. They didn't want to believe. But they didn't want to admit they didn't want to believe. They just wanted to keep asking him for more signs. John chapter 12, it says this in verse 37, But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. I want to read that again. Though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. Does it sound to you if they could just see a sign they would believe? Doesn't seem that way to me. People who don't want to believe, won't believe. Miracles don't convict people of sin. Miracles don't bring people to salvation. Hold your finger right here in Mark chapter 8 because we're going to come back to this. But I want to look at a couple of passages and one of them is in the gospel of Luke. If you Luke chapter 16, I hope you have your Bible and I invite you to turn to that with us. 
while you're turning, I'll just kind of bring you up to speed. Luke 16, Jesus is telling about two men that died. One was a rich man. One was a poor man by the name of Lazarus. Both of them died. The Bible says when Lazarus, the poor man, died, he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. He went to heaven immediately. By the way, it still happens when a saved person dies. The rich man died, and the Bible says it's in hell. In hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. Death is not the end. When you die, you go somewhere, and you're going to be there forever. The lost man died and went to hell. He found himself in a place of torment. And there was this great gulf that separated where he was and where Abraham was, but he was able to communicate with Abraham. And in verse 27, and that's where we are today, in Luke 16 and verse 27, then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, talking about Abraham, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. This man was in hell. And he realized he had brothers still living that if nothing happened, they're going to come to the very same place. It's interesting that people in hell have a bit more of a burden for lost people than we do sometimes. Would you send someone to see my brothers? In verse 29, Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Isn't that interesting? Would you send someone to my brothers? I don't want my brothers to come to this place. And Abraham said, They've got, they've got the Bible, they've got Moses and the prophets, they've got the scriptures. Just let them read the scriptures. And look what he said in verse 31, or verse 30. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they'll repent. If they could see someone come from the dead, they'd repent. They need more than the scriptures, they need a sign. But verse 31, he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, Neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. People don't get saved because of signs. You know what people need? They need the Bible. If the Bible's not enough for you, you're in deep trouble. If if the Bible's not enough, if you have to have some sign, you're in trouble. Because Jesus, this is not my opinion, this is Jesus' opinion. Let him read the Bible. See what the Bible says. Believe what the Bible says. We're talking about this matter of signs. It's not the lack of evidence that keeps people in darkness. It's the refusal to believe what God says. It's the refusal to obey what the Word of God says. People are waiting on some kind of a feeling. Some kind of a divine visitation. If God would just come down and do this for me, then maybe I'd believe. I'm telling you, that's a trap. It's a trap, a trap of the devil. There's so many examples of this in the Bible. John chapter 11, think about this. In John chapter 11, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. That was preached on last Sunday. 
from this pulpit. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. This is what the chief priest did. Think about this now. A man who has been dead for four days is alive. This is what the chief priest said. They consulted that they could put Lazarus to death. This is the same kind of people. Somebody raised from the dead. Kill him. Take him back where he came from. They weren't interested in obeying Jesus. They only were interested in trying to disprove him. It never ended. It never ended. We're not going to turn to it, but in the last part of the same book, we're in Mark's Gospel. In Mark's Gospel, Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's dying for the sins of humanity. He's been punished. He's been brutally tortured, and he's dying on the cross. This is what those same people said. The chief priest, the same one, said this. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. If it had just come down from the cross, we'd see and believe. I don't know about you, but I don't believe them. <laughs> I don't, you say, well, I'm different. No, we're all, we all have this tendency. If he had just... If he would just show us, if he would just give us a sign. The problem was not a lack of evidence. The problem was pride and stubbornness and the refusal to obey God. Amen. This is not an undeniable, uh, this, this is an undeniable pattern we see throughout the New Testament. People don't believe because of signs. If a person came to church... And said, if God would just do this, if God would just do that, then maybe I'd get saved, then maybe I'd go forward. If He'd just show me, I'm telling you, you don't have to wonder, He's already shown you, and it's in the Bible. Signs don't produce faith. You know what produces faith? The Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The Jews weren't interested in believing. They weren't interested in submitting themselves to Jesus Christ in the authority of the Word of God. You say, well, I just think signs could be helpful. I want to I just give you this future reference to the danger of signs. Signs can be very deceptive. Most of Matthew chapter 24, and I'm not going to turn to it, is talking about things related to the return of Christ. You've, you're familiar with it. Signs of the times, things are going to be... And this is what it says. Please listen to these words. This is, this is what it's going to be like... When Jesus comes, there shall arise false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. You may not believe this today, but the devil can produce signs. And that's not new. That's all the way back into Moses' day. He can duplicate with some kind of signs. I'd be careful about putting my stock in signs. So many people there are deceived by false prophets. They have this miraculous power. They claim to do this. And, 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 and poor blind people, religious people, are tra will travel all over the world to see some statue that's weeping because it's a sign that God is there. It's not a sign that God is there. It's a deceptive sign. It's a lying sign. It's a false sign. Jesus said strong things in Matthew's gospel when he was asked to produce a sign. 
He said this, I read this a moment ago, there's an evil and adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. And then he said this, there shall no sign be given, but, here's the sign, here's the only sign he's going to give you, but, the sign of the prophet Jonah. You say, well, what is the sign of the prophet Jonah? Now think, this is serious. Jesus said, this is the only sign I'm going to give you. This is it. If you're looking for a sign, this is it. Jesus said, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, even so shall the Son of Man three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's the only sign you're going to get. And what is that sign? He's talking about the resurrection. He's talking about this, the empty tomb is enough. You don't need any kind of angelic visitation. You don't need any kind of special message. You have the word of God and you have the evidence of an empty tomb. That's the only sign you're going to get. You say, I want more. Why? Jesus said it's evil to want more. Why do you want more? You've had enough written in the Word of God. People aren't saved because of signs. They get saved because they believe what God says. No other sign will be given. In another place, in John chapter 2, they demanded of him a sign. Another occasion. They said, give us a sign. And this is what Jesus said. Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And they said, that's impossible. It's 40, it took us 46 years to build a temple. But then John said, he spake of the temple of his body. He said, here's the sign. Destroy this temple, kill me, three days, I'll raise it up. That's the sign. Let me tell you today. God is so merciful and God is so long-suffering, so loving and so patient. But God's not going to play this, you know, hide and seek with us. And God, will you show me this? Will you do this? Will you show me that? God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. If God would, if God would just do this, I'd know He loves me. No, He does love you. How do you know? Because He said so. Because He said so. Well, I don't. I don't think. If, I don't think God ought to do that. If God does that, I don't know if I want to trust Him. That's nonsense. That's not that's a trap. It's nonsense. God is good because the Bible says he's good. God loves you because the Bible says he loves you. Salvation is eternal because the Bible says so. And it doesn't matter how we feel. You say, Well, if God is good, he'll if God is good, he'll make me feel well. And you start feeling better, you say, God is good. And then your washing machine breaks. You say, Well, I don't know. If God is good, why does God let this happen to me? That's all a bunch of nonsense. It's not complicated. This is the revelation of God right here. It's not some sign. It's not some other sign or indication. Those things can be dangerous. You know what happened to those people? After Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly and he became a preacher again. Got a fresh appreciation for the ministry. 
He went in there to the end of that wicked city and he just started preaching. You know what they did? They repented. They repented. And you know what we ought to do to the truth? We ought to repent. We ought to turn to God. We ought to trust God. Now, I'm not talking to you about something that some people struggle with, but most of us don't. I think all of us can have this tendency sometimes to always be looking for something. Always be looking for some kind of a sign. The empty tomb is the sign that Jesus is the Son of God. God raised Him from the dead. The empty tomb is a sign that salvation is complete and provided and that the Father accepts it completely because Jesus raised Him from the dead. You don't have to work. You can say, well, I just don't know if He'd forgive all my sins. Just look at the empty tomb. He paid for all of them. The empty tomb is a sign that there's life after death. Right? Just look at the tomb. His salvation is... Sacrifice is complete. Every promise. You say, I don't know if, that'll, if God's word is really true. Just look at the tomb. Whatever God says is going to happen, it's going to happen. People looking for signs that God is real, that God is good, that God loves me. There's no other signs going to be given. I don't understand why God loves me. I don't understand why he's so good to us. I don't. I gave up a long time ago trying to figure out. You can't figure it out. I don't know, but I know this, He does. By this we know He loves us, right? Because of the cross. It's interesting, and let's close here in Mark chapter 8. After He said this to them in verse 12, There shall no sign be given unto this generation. Verse 13 it says, And He left them. And entered into the ship again and departed to the other side. Now that, again, I find that interesting. Why such a short stay? Why, Why such an abrupt departure? You know why? To me, if I'm going to base what I believe on the Bible, this is the conclusion I come to. Because they weren't interested in believing. Why stay there? They were insincere. It would would do us good to really take an honest, deep look inside our heart and ask ourselves, why don't we just trust Him? I'm telling you, He's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our trust. I think there are a lot of people that are like the Pharisees. They're always looking for some reason not to believe. And you know what? If you were looking for one, you'll find it. Right? What are you waiting for? What are you looking for? What are you looking for? Young person, what are you waiting for? What are you looking for? There are people in this room, and I don't say this because I'm some kind of spiritual super saint. I say it because I just watch people. I think there are people in this room that if you were to die today, You'd go to hell. You say you shouldn't say that. I, try, I say that because I care about people. You'd go to hell. There's no evidence of spiritual life. There's no evidence of a love for God. There's no evidence of a love for the things of God. We have every reason to wonder if people don't show some evidence of, of a love for God. 
then you have reason to wonder. You have reason to... And I'm just saying this, what are you waiting for? Could you imagine what it would be like to wake up in hell? For, and you're going to be there forever? Not just for a few days, not just for a few weeks, not just for, forever, forever. When a thousand years has come and gone, you're still burning in hell. What are you waiting for? You say, well, I'm just waiting on something. I don't know. I'll tell you what you need to do is believe what God says. Just believe what God says. But you know why some people do that? Because they don't want to believe. It's not because they don't know. It's not because they've never heard. It's because they don't want to believe. That's a terrible place to be, isn't it? It's a frightful place to believe. So, I think this matter of sign-seeking is a pretty important issue. Jesus said, I'll give you one sign. It's not multiple choice. I only have one. Just one. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the center or in the belly of a whale, so shall the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, be three days and three nights in the center of the earth. There's your sign. He is who he says he is. He did what he came to do. He finished the work. And it's our responsibility, it's our duty, it's our obligation to receive him, to believe on him. And to live for him, no matter how we feel, right? No matter how it looks. Amen. If you're here today and you're not saved, the invitation is for you. Come to Jesus Christ. Come to Jesus Christ. And if you're waiting on anything, you're waiting on the wrong thing. And if you're here today and you say, I know I'm Christian, but sometimes we let what he does and how he does it and when he does it, all those things affect how we feel about God. You're following signs. It's not a good thing. Amen? He's good when I feel lousy. If I ever feel good, he'll be good then. <laughs> He's always the same.